All right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. I know. it's. It seems like forever, Scott, that I, you and I have sat and talked to each other. To, every to, time it feels that way, Ali. Every I know. Time. I mean, we could record, you know, multiple times a week and I still go, man, it's, it feels good. To, you it's know, been too it's, long. It has been too long, you know? Yeah. I guess that's the good thing about like a, you know, like a friendship like this, yeah. you know? People who Is like it? each other, enjoy yeah. each other's company. Sure. Every sure. time we get together, it's like, yeah, it's been too long. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. There it is. I have no idea what episode number this is. Do you have any uh, idea? I believe it is 151. So we 151. are creeping towards uh, episode 154, which will be our last of season three. Ah, that is awesome. And then we Who- will have completed three entire years of this nonsense. You know, it. we started this in the beginning uh, amidst the pandemic, right? Right, right in the... Th- thick of the you know a covid and it seems like it like far away but also relatively recent in both mm-hmm. of those right yeah. and so i'm reading a book in which it was written after the pandemic and the pandemic plays a like a role in the book right. and it's just like wow are like really we can we've gotten to that point where it's now showing up in fiction yeah. like because you you know usually the lead up for fiction takes some time you know yeah and like it's it's wild for me to think okay we're now producing you know, fiction about that, you know, yeah. uh, it was, it's wild. It is. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, it is now in theory, at least in our past, but yeah, but you know, it's not like COVID's gone. Yeah. No, still, still here. It's still a thing. It's still a thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, we yeah. don't want to go that, down that. We're not going hole. down that path. We have no. a different rabbit hole today. Yes. And the rabbit hole we're going down is around engineering. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I, I, I think we came I came up with this. Uh, I proposed this topic only because it's kind of come up in a couple of different places. We have a couple of our team um, members, you know, that are helping with the professional development around the state that attended a an engineering workshop up at Penn State just a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking to one of them and they were talking about some of the things they were, that they were doing in, in, in the program and in the workshop. And that and then we had when we had our retreat a few months ago. Uh, we had the Lego folks come in um, to talk about engineering and, and it is part of the next generation science standards, like it the is. science and engineering practices. Um, and, and there's, they're kind of the same, but kind of different in terms of science and engineering and how they, you know, are interrelated. And, and I feel like, you know, we haven't really dedicated an episode to talk about them. I mean, we yeah. talked about all the science and engineering practices way back when we did the ranking. Remember that yes, episode? I do remember Which, that. Yeah. Ooh. Rank. Ooh, it's a pool. <laughs> yes. it's a... Yeah. So long ago. Yes. Wow. We Years. Were just, we were podcasting pups then. Yeah. Boy. Boy, howdy were we. So I don't know where we start with the engineering stuff because I, I I'll say this like when I when I taught high school um way back in the day and even even when I taught middle school which is even further back um I I liked doing engineering types of things in my classroom that was something I really enjoyed like I liked not just teaching because I knew that a lot of my students were going to be you know engineering was and it still is one of those main routes for kids who are you know stem minded kids right mm-hmm. if they're stem minded kids they're you know either they're going to go into pure science and become like you know major in physics like you and i yeah. or they're going to do something more practical with their lives yeah. <laughs> and and go off and study engineering or medicine or something like that and yeah. and 
I would say so many of the students I had that were in, in that uh, when I was teaching high school physics were like their plan was to go into engineering. They were going to go, okay, I'm want to become an electrical engineer. I want to become a material science engineer, a chemical engineer, whatever. And and I felt like giving them some of the, um, you know, some some sort of engineering type things would be kind of you know good practice for them, right? Yeah. Um, and it was also how I learned physics way back in the day when my high school physics teacher was big on these engineering things. He did like something almost every marking period where it was like, you know, whether we did this uh, Santa sleigh thing. Ever tell yeah. you this about this? No. So Detail. this was, so our, at, at Christmas time, this was right around like, you know, probably at the end of the energy unit, probably because, you know, the standard yes. curriculum for physics he would set up a uh, a cable in the room in the classroom, mm -hmm. and the goal was you had to build a sleigh that goes down the uh, the cable and then deposits a package into a chimney, and you had All to right. figure out a way to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, and so this was his engineering project for us. And so every year he would change the uh, the you know, the parameters of the project so that people couldn't just use their brothers or sisters, you know, right. oh, my, my sister created this sleigh two years ago. I'm going to use it. Well, it's like, maybe yeah. not the same. Right. And maybe so not maybe not the same. So, um, I stole that project and I did it with my students, mm, you know? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is the thing, right. And, and I think this is maybe what the focus of this episode is about is, can we talk about how those things or like the egg drop or right. like there's so many of these, that, especially in physics that we do, right? That were part of the standard curriculum. How are those different to or the same as or related to um, what we're talking about when we're talking about these science and engineering practices um, in the same way that we think about like what's the relationship between traditional labs in a science class and yeah. and what the the science practices are? Because I'll say when I taught physics, I did a bunch of this stuff. I did the egg drop. We did like a helicopter thing. Uh, roller coasters are right. uh, classic, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I will say they were not – They were. I don't know how much kids learned about science. Probably not at all. And very little anyway. And, and I don't know how much they learned about engineering because I didn't frame it as an engineering problem. I framed it as like a trial and error like – you know, um, I don't know, activity. Yeah. So when I did it, it was not framed as like engineering design where here's the problem, here are the constraints, here's, you know, an iterative and how do you think through the problem? It was more just like, we're going to throw some stuff together. We're going to put a parachute on it and wrap it in bubble wrap and we'll see whether it, so there wasn't a, there wasn't, the practices weren't present right. in the at least in the way that I did it when I did it. Yeah, I, I would say that I, I I would agree with that completely. That I I feel like um, it was kind of fun, saucy, right? It totally. was. Um, I think when I bump into students um, who took those classes, they inevitably remember that they go, sure. "Oh, the Rube Goldberg, you know, Rube contraption. Goldberg. Yeah, 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 this the is, there's so car. many stories. Yeah, the, the mousetrap car. Oh, we built a mousetrap car. I remember that. Or uh, we did a catapult. They had, oh, they, had yeah, to, they, they had to throw um, water balloons at me. So this oh. was a yes. Let's see. See, so that's they, why. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So these are the things that they remember, right? They remember these types of fun activities. And I tried to put a, you know, a physics-y, science-y spin on it, but most of it was around, you know, 
calculations, right? Like, hey, what, you know, you have to do some measurements and then do the calculations or look at the energy exchanges or whatever. So I tried to make it physics-y, but I was really trying to like, it was the fun sauce, right? And I was like trying to be like, okay, well, let's analyze the fun sauce. What kind of stuff is in that fun sauce, you know? And, And that's not to discredit the fact that like, one is important, right? It's not a, you know, yeah. I had kids who wanted to take my class because they were like, my brother did this catapult and he loved it. You know, it's like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I hear that. And I guess I'm always, cause I, I think I, I like to think maybe I'm wrong, but I like to think that that was similar for me in my years there uh, in teaching high school. But when I look back, if I'm clear eyed about it, I think I would say like there Part of what we're trying to do when we talk about science practices and the same with engineering practices is we're trying to help kids understand that there is something intrinsically compelling in doing science or doing engineering that doesn't require the fun sauce. Like, I think that's why I think that the problem is when you put fun sauce on something, people recognize that what you're doing is you're trying to add flavor to something that's flavorless and right. your attempt is to put this fun sauces and and so instead of having a big pile of garbage and trying to put fun sauce on it can we start with something that in and of itself is intrinsically compelling or interesting or or engaging i don't love that word but but that kids are like yeah i re- what i remember is writing writing the explanation for the happy sad ball and finally understanding why one ball bounces and the other ball doesn't Instead of, you know, like, oh, I remember that time you swung a um, bowling ball with your head against a wall, like that classic demonstration. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Where the oh, person... oh, I, oh yeah. I do. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, I remember that. That was amazing. It's yeah. like, well, what do you remember about it? It's like, I couldn't it believe didn't hit it. You in the face. Did, yeah, it didn't yeah. crush your face. And it's like, well, that was not the point of that exercise at all. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that as it, you're saying about, you know, looking at it clear eyed now is um you know when we went had the the person come in and talk about legos um and i i would say that was one of my reservations with that right is that you know the legos themselves are are pretty you know they're fun right i mean they're i mean i I love legos i love them okay so i got a lego yoda right over my shoulder i can't tell you yeah how i have like thousands of dollars of legos in my house like that that is not a like an over exaggeration right. in any way like yeah. it, i'm sitting within like a stone's throw of thousands of dollars worth of legos in this house yeah. me too and i also recognize that you know this cookbook building of a lego thing which is what you when we attended the um re- retreat and we had this person come in you know we basically just followed a cookbook where we were building this yeah. car right and it was yeah. designed, hey, we're going to build this car and then we're going to do something with the car. Yeah. You know, now we had some limited time and we, we only had uh, that person come in for about two hours or so. And but I mean, the, the reality is that, you know, we never got to, you know, the actual engineering stuff. We we're just building. We're just following a cookbook, yeah. you know, and I don't think that anyone would say that, you know, following a cookbook is the same as, you know, you know, being, I don't know, that's not engineering, right? I mean, it's a, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's in the same way that doing a cookbook lab is not science, right? Like right. If, if what you're doing is following a set of instructions, um, 
to come to an, a known outcome that you're then going to describe, um, that is neither science nor engineering. Like that, th- that's not what either of those domains as, as fields of inquiry, that's not what they do. So it's absolutely not engineering and it's not science to do a cookbook of any kind, right? Now, that doesn't mean that kids have to discover new things or create new engineering solutions, but there is a space in between those two extremes where we're trying to land, which is providing kids authentic opportunities to try and solve problems. And in the process, this is in terms of engineering, like solving problems as opposed to investigating phenomenon, right? So this, we can start talking about the differences between the science practices and the engineering practices. But in engineering, you're trying to solve a problem, something specific, like, okay, we need to build a bridge across this ravine and it needs to be able to hold this much weight. And we have these kinds of materials and they cost this, you know, the bridge can't cost more than this amount of money and blah, 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 right? There are constraints on this problem and we are trying to solve it. And that is an engineering problem. And then you solve it, you try and solve it, and you try and solve it iteratively by trying different designs and seeing whether they succeed or fail and and continuing to iterate, but in a reasoned way based on this, the constraints that you have around this problem. Yeah. And then that process, they're they're learning something that is not just about that problem, but is like more, you know, applicable to other problems too. They're learning a process. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, th- and that's that process is critical, right? It's not, you know, we talk about this all the time, but the outcome is not the goal. The process is the goal. Right. So you're, you're trying to get them to understand, like, if you're an engineer or if you're just a person who's solving an engineering type problem, like I'm building a deck in my backyard, that's a low level engineering problem, right? I got to figure out like, how do I, how deep do I need to dig the holes for the post so that you know, when the ground freezes in the winter, the posts don't shift. Right. So, and I need to know like how much concrete that's going to take. And then I got to figure out how to make it level. And these are all engineering questions on a very simplistic level, but that's a real problem. Like I'm, if, if I screw it up, my deck's going to be a mess. It's going to be unlevel or it's going to, you know, collapse or it's going to, you know, so, so that's a real engineering problem that ordinary people encounter in their lives. So having helping kids understand like there can be a process to that. There's a way to engage with those kinds of problems that is helpful and is pre-existing and is a known uh, process that works for these kinds of things. Like that's an incredibly important thing for them to learn. Yeah. One of the things I think that might be helpful for us in this, you know, this like cleared, clear eyed, I like that, you know, mm. way of looking back, you know, this remembering the the fun sauce that we did is to maybe think about like the, the science and engineering practices and think, okay, do we, would we meet this? The, did yeah. we meet this in that process? You know, so we've outlined a couple of different activities here, you know, whether you, it's the Santa sleigh or the, you know, the Rube Goldberg, that was the, that I, I have so many Rube Goldberg stories about yeah. like stuff catching on fire yeah. and things exploding and all oh, great stories, you know, good stories, good stories of the good old Theater. days when Theater. you could blow kids up and give them tears acid. and laughter, tears and laughter. Yeah. Um, all right, so the, uh, here are the uh, science and engineering practices from uh, the Next Generation Science Centers. Asking questions and defining problems. Yeah, and so, so the defining I, problems piece is the engineering part of that. Right, and so I'm defining the problem, right, yeah. as the 
you know, so um, I gave them the, whether it's the mousetrap car or the, you know, whatever yeah. it's like uh, developing and using models. Mm, not so much planning and carrying out investigations. I would hope that they did some sort of investigation. I think they may have carried out an investigation. If you want to call a lab, an investigation or a, or right. a engineering thing, an investigation. I don't think they designed it. None of my kids designed anything like that when I was right. teaching, but maybe you're different. Um, but I think that one's, the designing bit is the one that I always am like, really? When you say you're doing that in your classroom, you're saying that you're creating an environment where kids are trying to understand something, whether that's an engineering problem or a science phenomenon, and then they're designing something to test that. Not, we're going dis- to we're gonna figure out different conditions for plants to grow and you get to make up your own variable for what you think, you know, like we're going to put one plant in the closet and one plant under a sun lamp and see which one does better. You know, that's not designing investigation. Right. And for a lot of my students, it was just trial and error. They didn't like actually collect, collect data, analyze it, say, Hey, we've got to change these things. It was just trial and error, you know, hundred percent. And, uh, Okay, so coming back to the uh, science and engineering practices, analyzing and interpreting data—that's the piece. They they didn't collect data. It was just like okay, right. we, uh, in the engineering ones, yeah, they typically don't. Right. Uh, using mathematics and computational thinking. Probably because mm-hmm. we made them do a lot of computation, but I don't yeah. know if it was related to, in a meaningful way to what they were up to. Constructing explanations—that's on the science side. Designing solutions. On the science, uh, the engineering side, I would say they were doing a solution, mm. a solution, yeah. you know, engaging in argument from evidence, you know, no, no, not mm. so much no. obtaining, evaluating and communicating information. Nah. No. So I, I would, I would say that's a really good way of framing this analysis, right? Is like saying, yeah. okay, you know, and while I enjoyed doing that stuff and the kids enjoyed doing it too, um, Yeah didn't rise to any sorts of really nuanced engineering instruction. Right. And I, and I do think like that is, it is an important thing to understand about this because I, we harp on this a lot, but you know, there is a consistent response to any reform effort like this, which is I already do this. Yes. And so that, that question (laughs) of, well, what do you do, and is it really this? Because um, because it's easy to superficially say, I do these things. But the question would be, does your child, student, the kids in your class, do they leave that experience with a better understanding of how engineers or scientists do the work that they do? And if the answer is no, then you failed. No matter what you did, you didn't... You didn't you didn't meet the standard, right? Because the the purpose of a science class should be to help kids understand that process, to know what science is or engineering is as a practice. And yeah, they're going to learn content as part of that. It's inevitable because you have to do something in that process. You don't just, you're not just taught the process as a set of steps, as we used to do with the scientific method or whatever, like you have to engage in the practice. And when you engage in the practice, you have to engage with real phenomenon or real problems. And when you do that and real, I'll put in quotes, but real-ish things, approximations of practice, like then, then you, you can learn these things. But 
Um, yeah, same because I did the egg drop. Um, right. my kids engaged in engineering practices. That's just nonsense. Like they, they didn't. They, they goofed around with some stuff to see whether they could design something that would um, keep an egg from breaking. And I it was fun. So, do you think that's a, you know, I want to kind of dig into this in this pro, not, you know, on the agenda for the show, but, mm. um, but I think it's, it's something that we probably have talked about and we, it, it would be good for us to spend a little more time talking about it is like, where do you think that, you know, I already do that comes from, right? Where do you think it's like, is it embedded? Is it special to teachers and education oh, no. No. or is it like just l- larger, you know, thing that humans do? Because yeah. I see it a lot. I see it a lot when I, you know, um, like, you know, we're doing some, um, you know, at, at our institution, we're, I mean, that we have this, these new, um, reforms that are happening in terms of, uh, certification requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapter 49 is this thing that comes down from the state. It's every 10 years it's reevaluated and, and new things are put in that, you know, for, uh, the competencies for teachers. And there are three big areas that, you know, have been added to teacher certification in the state of Pennsylvania. And, um, and it's like, okay, um, I already do that. And it's like, hold on. I don't think you do. And, but I mean, there are people who, you know, come at it, say, yeah, we already do that. And, but so it's, I I see it a lot in education, you know, that, but I think it happens everywhere. And where do you think that comes from? Like, where, what is it about us as, as humans that, you know, make, make us bristle at the new thing? Well, I mean, I think, you know, of course, because of who I am and the way I think about the world, I come at this as from a learning theory perspective. So why is it when you're asking people to learn new things, are they often resistant to that? And I think the fundamental answer is that if you understand learning as a change of practice and therefore a change in identity, that is a very different way to think about it than just do you have the knowledge or don't you? And so when you tell people they need to change, what they say is, I know how to do that. I know, right? It's in my head. I know how to do it. But that's different than saying, I practice that. And when you're asking them to change practice, you're asking them to change identity, and therefore you're asking them to become different people, and that scares everybody. That is completely normal to say, Ali, here's what I want you to do in this science class. I want you to become a different person because the person that you are now is not meeting the standard, right? And so I want you to become a different person. And that is what we're asking people to do. We don't say it that way, but... um, but it and, is and why it's so and, scary. And they recognize that and they're like, I, I can't be that person or I don't want to be that person. Yeah, right? because it also means, especially and we've talked about this, as as you have more and more practice at doing something, it it doesn't just mean becoming a new person. It means retroactively saying the person that right. you used to be right. was not good. Right. And that sucks. Like this is, you know, talking about going back to the clear eyed where we started, like me looking back at me as a science teacher. Yeah. Um, that clear eyed view is uncomfortable for me because I know that I wasn't a good science teacher. And well, no, but by a, a frame, like there's yeah. a frame of reference in which you are using now to say, you know, I wasn't a very good, you know, physics teacher. I, I mean, I, I will tell you that like my, by a lot of other measures, my kids thought and my, administration and my colleagues thought I was a pretty darn good physics teacher. Me too. But here's the thing. Um, 
I think what I was, I think what I was is I was a good teacher and I built good relationships with my students. Right. But I don't think I was a good science teacher. I just don't. I don't think by any standard what I was doing was good science teaching. The if by if if the definition of a good science teacher is that my kids understood science, then I was not a great science teacher. Yeah. My kids did not understand science. They knew how to do algorithms, they knew how to you know do a lot of stuff, but they didn't actually know much science if any. Um in fact, I probably did as so many of us do, a disservice to them in in essentially convincing them that science is about right answers and that that being good at science means knowing the right answer. But I will argue that there that is a lens, that's a litmus test. And then that's the 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 you know theme of the show, right? That's yeah. you know, what is good science instruction? What what does that look like in different settings and different environments? And you know, that was the whole, you know, impetus of of designing science in between. But I would say that if we dig into the other themes that have developed in the show, um, you know, relationships, you know, that's a litmus test. Did it, were your students safe? Did they were was there a sense of belonging? Did they come hmm. to the classroom and feel valued right yes so i would say you know from that standpoint yeah i mean so it's not a you know binary were you a good science teacher or were you not a good science teacher it's a you know you're a good teacher who maybe could be teaching science better yeah maybe i mean i i i guess i'm more well i if if I think at least in part, your response is exactly the response of right. I do that, I, which is you're I, trying to defend your your prior self. You're trying to say that guy, Ali, was a good science teacher. And and it's natural for you to do that. It's a human nature thing. And and I and I I hear what you're saying. And fundamentally, I agree with it. But I also want to disagree with it because I think it lets us off the hook a little bit, because for me, I I, I think I it needs to start with me being able to say I would have been potentially one of those people in the room who's saying I do this. Um and and that is a result of the fact that compared to some of my colleagues at that time I was I was doing better science teaching. Um and so in that sense as you say I was a good science teacher within the context of the fact that the people around me were maybe even even more they weren't even building the relationships right so at least right. i was doing that um they there there were teachers that i worked with that did not um were not concerned and that's too harsh but they that that was not their primary orientation to the work they weren't trying to build relationships with their kids they were trying to to communicate information to their kids well i'm going to push back on that a little bit because i think that when when I say that there's these other things, I'm not saying, oh, you already do this. I'm trying to say that like by saying it like you were – because you didn't do this one part of teaching, that makes you a bad teacher. I'm saying it's a pretty co- – teaching is pretty complex, mm-hmm. right? And if we use this one thing, this one – and it's a pretty big thing. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the, the next generation science standards and this way of, of, of viewing, you know, students and their position to science and how their involvement with science and how, you know, 
they're developing arguments and they're, you know, relevancy and all of the stuff, all of the practices of science that we're mm -hmm. embracing, that that's a pretty big litmus test. However, it's an element of teaching. And if we say we use that as the sole test for teaching, mm -hmm. That that we're not we're going to have some students, uh, some teachers who are just going to bristle at that. That's going to further so that it's it's either I already do that or I'm a bad teacher. And no, I'm that's saying not, that's not what I'm, I'm saying. saying. I know, but I'm saying that's the middle ground. It's the you're not a bad teacher and you don't already do this. It's that's that's the it's the and yeah, I, I think that's true. I hear what you're saying, and and I'm not trying to make everybody say what I say. Right. That's what I'm trying to say is, um, that that even at that time, even at that time in the late '80s, early '90s, right, we had this idea of inquiry. Sure. Um. So, and and that continued into the time that you and I worked together in the early 2000s. So, um that concept existed in the world and there were people who were doing real teaching based on that. And, um, and I understand that I am a product of my environment, that I was part of the apprenticeship of observation, that I was part of a culture of a school within a larger culture of schooling, which made it very difficult for me not to teach the way that I did. I understand all that. And I also I like my back, dissertation. Yeah. And I can also look back and say, even given that, if I were if I were to walk, if I Scott, twenty twenty three, which is a Marvel thing, if if I yes. Scott twenty twenty three were to walk into Scott's classroom in um, nineteen ninety three, right, which is my first full year of teaching, I think, if I'm doing my math right, so that's thirty years ago. If yeah. I were to walk into that science class and watch that person teach, I wouldn't say this person is doing damage to children or is a horrible teacher. But what I would say is there's a lot of room for this person to grow into sure. being a good science teacher. And right now, they have a very um, traditional notion of what it means to teach science and what their classroom should look like and who has the agency to do the work of, of science in that classroom. Yeah. So I don't, I, and I say that because, um, because we do work with people who are Scott from 1993, right. Who are within the framework of their school or, or schooling or science teaching in general, they are considered to be good science teachers. Yeah. And yet, there's a lot of room for growth for them. And so I want to be the first person to say, yeah, I was like that. That was me. And and I, in a room full of other science teachers, very likely might have said, I already do that. I'm I'm doing good science teaching right now. I'm doing inquiry um, in my classroom. So um, because because frankly, I didn't understand it because I had I didn't I didn't experience it really. I didn't I didn't know how to do it and I had no colleagues or or context in which to grow that part of my practice. So I I know you at at uh at State College you have some fo folks who are like really into engineering and developing engineering, you know, instruction, right? Are you talking I, about Penn, at Penn State? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I said I said Penn State, right? 
You said state college, so that's right. why I was trying that's to be it. clear whether you're yeah. talking about like the teachers. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you have some colleagues who are like really into engineering education. You yeah. Know? Right. So I mean, probably the preeminent, arguably in the country, uh, engineering educator was here. At, was here. She she just left. I think I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to say that, but um, Christine Cunningham, who um, has developed multiple national curriculum around early grades engineering, um, was here at Penn State, and she's returned to the Museum of Science in Boston, which is where she did some, you know, her initial work in this in this field. But she is, you know, I don't know what the right, you know, way of characterizing her in that field, but she's a superstar. She's a she's a you know, a nationally known figure who has developed a curriculum called uh, Engineering is Elementary um, and is now working on a new program at middle grades level. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have some really thoughtful, deep thinkers on this, on these practices. Um, Greg Kelly um, and Christine Cunningham have written quite a bit about, say, the differences between engineering practices and science practices and how how importantly different they are and how uh, how the epistemic differences between those areas are yeah. important. So yeah, it's a, it's a good place for engineering education. Yeah. I, I think that, I, I don't, I don't know how we, like where we take this conversation, you know, yeah. I mean, I think the epistemic differences is, is, is pretty interesting stuff. I mean, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want us to like, just fall into the, you know, professional development piece. Cause I think that is like the work we're doing and it's, it's the work we see a lot of, um, you know, especially with, you know, when we're working with teachers and we see some of the, um, and not, not everyone is, is, you know, responding in this, I already do that. Some of them are like, Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. no, but it is one of those common things that we see, you know, anytime you do professional development, any conversations I have with, you know, colleagues, you know, it, it comes up, it comes up like I already do that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but I think that some of those epistemic differences might be a good, good way to maybe wrap up like this is is thinking about like you know what are the goals and like aims of of the you know between science and engineering you know mm -hmm. you know one is about like you know about explanation making these explanations of of science and you know in engineering it's a little different from that it's like trying to come up with solutions you know that's a those are different different ways of of framing the conversation right you know yep. and and while they're interrelated you know an explanation and a solution are related they're not the same right i mean they're right. the goal absolutely not and and solutions are always, you know, I mean, this is a big thing in in thinking about engineering, and we've talked a little bit about this, but the idea that engineering problems are constrained, right? So you're optimizing. Um, so if you get, you know, in a real engineering context, if you get stronger steel, it costs more money. So you get less of it. And so there's this this problem of in engineering where it's not as simple as like i'm going to build the strongest bridge ever made right. across this span but it's, it's going to cost billions right. of dollars exactly right? it's going to cost gonna the take gdp decades. of the nation right, right. it's going to take decades to build it and it's right. going to cost billions of dollars but it's the best but, but it will be indestructible it will survive a nuclear holocaust it's like well that's not what we need what we need is a bridge that costs this much or less can be built in this time or less uses the materials that are available within that right. context, but also will be safe and strong and and last for a hundred years or whatever you want it to do. So I think that 
you know, science doesn't have those constraints. You're not optimized. Well, that. That, but they, they do have to be whatever that solution, that explanation is, has got to be testable, right? It's got to be able to be testable. And it also has to be able, as new evidence is brought to bear on it, has to still fit in. So there's still constraints. Yeah. It's just more different. I, would, uh, I don't know if that's a constraint. I would say right. that that that's a um, an iterative process that you right. develop an explanation and then you change it as new evidence comes. But you don't say like, well, we're going to only um, design our explanation to explain this little thing, right? right? We don't constrain it in that way. So well, I, maybe um, a better way of framing it is it's it's not a constraint; it's baked into the process, right? It's baked in the process of you know this, whether it's the um, considering the constraints for engineering or considering the uh, forward thinking, testable nature well, on the data that you have. Like that's, right. that's the thing that constrains you with your explanation in, in with phenomenon is what data do you have? Right. Cause you you never have all the data in the world. You have the data that you have. And so based on that, you develop an explanation and it will always be incomplete because the data is always incomplete. Yeah. And so, okay. So you are in that sense, you're right. You're constrained in your ability to write an explanation by the data that you can gather. Um, engineering is is human made constraint right you if you're if you're in a classroom you're like these you have these materials you have straws you have toothpicks tape glue whatever it is and you're going to build a bridge out of those materials that ha have to carry this amount of weight right and span this sort of a distance so that idea of of operating within constraint and then optimizing so once you have a solution can you reduce the weight of the bridge without weakening it? Can you, you know, you you try to optimize for other variables within that. Um, and that's another part of the process that, you know, again, often gets ignored. Like if we think about the egg drop, none of that really happens. Right. You don't try none to make happens. it better. Like, oh, well, what happens if we do five layers of bubble wrap? Well, it always keeps the egg protected, but that's also now this massive Right. thing so can we how small can we get it and still protect the egg is a, is an engineering question yeah and i think that's something that we have to think a little bit more about and and we recognize this is as yeah. we move forward with our 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 work is how do we in incorporate stuff that stuff and in, integrate a little bit more into our work with teachers because you know we've really focused on even though you and i have a little bit of engineering background we're this isn't you know our no you know it's yeah. not our ballywick. This is not this is not something that we know deeply. Yeah. 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 All right. All Joyce. right. Joyce. Fire away. Let's hear what you got. All right. So my uh my family and I went oh. to uh New York City this week. Oh. And uh we were primarily going for my son who he's a fan of Mac DeMarco. Do you know who this is? I do know. He's, I, I didn't really either. He's a, uh, he's a musician and my, it's one of, I think my son's favorite musician. And so when his birthday was coming ar around a few months ago, he's like, dad, this is what I want. I want to go to this Mac DeMarco concert. And I'm like, all right, we can go to New York city. You can go, but we'll, I'm not going. So he and his sister went to the Mac DeMarco concert and me and my wife were like, what are we going to do? And so we've gone to Broadway a bunch of times and we've m mostly seen musicals and we're like uh -huh. let's see a play this time uh -huh. and so we saw goodnight oscar oh with sean hayes yeah 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 and I've heard amazing things about this it was awesome 
it was awesome. And so it's a limited engagement. So I think it's only going through, uh, I think through the end of August. Um, Sean Hayes, if, if you're not familiar, he's the, um, he's the guy on Will and Grace. He was the the friend of Will and Grace, you know, he's, yeah. uh, and he's also, on, but in a bunch of other things, there's this podcast with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett Will mm-hmm. and Sean Hayes is the third person in that podcast. And that's getting a lot of buzz right now. And, and she, yeah. Oh, he's on. Yeah. That is that the podcast. That's, that's the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, Sean Hayes plays this, this guy, Oscar Levant, and who was, I guess, a pretty famous piano player in uh, the sixties. And he was a regular circuit on like the tonight show at the time with Jack Parr only because he was like kind of outrageous and, mm-hmm. and he had some mental health issues and he had some, you know, drug issues. And I guess it all comes to like a, a like, yeah, a it comes to a head. Uh, thank you. comes yeah. to head. I was trying to like say it without like necessarily giving away the ending. It's right. a real story. Like yeah. he was like, it's a true story. Um, I think the acting was amazing. Uh, but I think the thing that blew me away was Sean Hayes is a pretty accomplished piano player. Yeah. And like at one point of it, he plays piano and it just blew me away because I didn't know he had that talent. And just amazing, just re- like really, uh, he won um, a Tony for this, uh, and yeah. it's not surprising after seeing it. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, it was definitely a delight, definitely a joy. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if we'll get there in time, but that would be cool to see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's that's one of the great things about living in central Pennsylvania. It's like we're like three hours from everywhere, right? It's like it's true, centrally isolated. Yeah, we're three hours from you know New York City, three hours from Pittsburgh, three hours from DC. It's like awesome, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna recommend, or I'm gonna the thing that brings me joy is actually from a little while ago, but I I um, haven't brought it up, so I'm gonna mention it. Um, which is a book by Elena Ferrante um, called My Brilliant Friend. It was made into a television series, which I have not seen. Um, But I read it because we had it sitting on our shelf and we were going, my family, um, for part of my my wedding anniversary trip. We went to Italy in May and I was looking for a book to bring on the plane and have with me and read while we were away. And I stumbled onto this book, which happens to be written um, by an Italian woman. And it's about Naples and growing up in Naples, um, which was one of the cities we happen to be going to. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is kismet. I need to bring this book with me. And it's, it's yeah, it's a lovely book. It's really about two women and um, their lives growing up. Um, and it starts when they're young children and goes till basically they're sort of married early marriage age so it's a series so i haven't read the other books um but it's yeah it's it's a it's a nice authentic book and it um i think it portrays the relationship between two people and a friendship between two people in a pretty um realistic and and in-depth way to really say like it's not like they're just buddies and they hang out forever everything's great it's the tensions and complexities of the two of them and their relationships with their families and the other people in their in their friend group and uh yeah it's just a, it's a great book so yeah it sounds awesome highly recommend 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with the book or the series on. I guess it's on Netflix. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Oh no, it's actually on HBO. Oh, is it? And it's on Max. Yeah, which cool. I guess I gotta get in the habit of saying that now. Yeah. Max. Max. <laughs> Max. But yeah, so uh, I'll have to check it out because it is on one of our short list of places to go. Um, yeah. However, I doubt we'll go in the middle of summer because it is 18 or whatever. Yeah. Hot. It is hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was when we were there, it was quite the opposite. It was actually cold for them. Like the Italians were apologizing their weather and saying it's never like this it's it was in and it was in like the upper 60s low 70s but um in the part of italy that at least we were in um usually it would have been in the 80s into the you know low 90s um or certainly 80s yeah. uh so it was and it was rainy and a little bit i mean i i don't i'm not complaining i'm just saying uh Oh it, it darn! Was, was I was the, in Italy, and yeah, it was poor cold. me. Well, yeah. It was me. I had to drink really good espresso, all very right. inexpensively, all day to keep myself warm. <laughs> I did drink lots of red wine. Well, I mean, <laughs> lots is a relative term, but <laughs> enough, enough, I, the appropriate amount <laughs> to stay nice and warm. Yes, to stay warm in the chill of the seventy-two degree weather. Oh, shucks. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it a hardship, but I, it, I, you took one for the team and I, I appreciate it. I marshaled that. through it. Yeah. Nice. Nice work. All, All right. right. Well, hey, catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye.